Alexander Maxwell, EU Regulatory Affairs Editor at MedTech Insight. It's my pleasure to introduce our new senior writer, Eliza Slaughter. Eliza will be helping us expand our programme of coverage in EU regulatory matters beyond the EU's medical device and IVD regulations to other associated developments in the fields, for example, of artificial intelligence and crucially in funding, reimbursement and health technology assessment, as well as the drug device overlap areas. Today, we're going to be introducing Eliza and talking about some of the basics around EU medtech regulations. Eliza, would you like to explain the knowledge and passion you are bringing to medtech insight and what this sector means to you personally? Sure. So prior to joining medtech insight, I worked as a pharmaceutical journalist, during which time I really developed an interest in the European regulatory and market access landscape. Innovation is really fascinating to me because there's this combination of scientific progression, particularly in medtech, and then you have the social, economic and ethical considerations that comes with the HTA element. So in the context of the EU and UK, it's particularly interesting because a device may receive regulatory approval, yet different countries will then value that product in a different way when it comes to funding and reimbursement. So I think that's where my passion really lies. What made you apply to work for MedTech Insight in terms of the opportunities it offers and the content? So in my previous role, um, as reporting on pharmaceutical developments and market access, specifically for branded drugs, but I did cover a small amount on devices and MedTech too. And I felt that I'd covered the pharmaceutical space in detail, so I was ready to take on the MedTech sector. And I really like as well that at MedTech Insight, I'm getting to carve out my niche and really focusing on the European regulations and HTA that impact the medtech sector. Um, and I'm also getting to learn about innovations along the way. So that's really exciting to me. Tell me, during your master's in journalism, you completed a project on the ethics of denying HTA reimbursement for investigational cancer therapies and the emergence of proton beam treatments for cancer. How has this sparked your interest in knowing more about funding and reimbursement in the medtech sector? Yeah, so that project was absolutely the beginning of my interest in funding and reimbursement. Um, and prior to completing it, I actually thought that I would uncover how there are innovative treatments that the UK and EU refuses to fund due to bureaucracy or having regulations that are too stringent. But then when I did the project and I spoke to health ethics and policy academics, as well as um, researchers from the Institute of Cancer Research, it became clear to me that actually European regulations and to an extent the national HTA decisions are there to ensure that our devices and drugs and other medical therapies are both safe and actually work, although there are some people who are in favour of less strict rules around regulation and funding. And doing that project made me realise that there's just so many nuances to funding products within a healthcare system because the financial resources will always be limited. That's certainly true. And you're doing a Bachelor of Science in Biomedicine at London's Birkbeck College in your own time. What made you embark on these studies and what areas related to medtech have inspired you the most? So I decided to go back to uni because 
I felt that having the scientific knowledge around biomedicine would make me better and more qualified to write about life sciences. Um, I studied English literature for my first undergraduate degree. But I've always been interested in science and particularly in medical science. And so far, I'm really enjoying university. And in particular, some of the lab based modules are all about diagnostics for various illnesses, which is very related to medtech. One of my classes involved measuring an enzyme activity, which in turn can be used to work out the level of a protein in blood, which can be used to predict the likelihood of someone having a type of cancer. So getting to do those sorts of things is just so exciting and really enhances my ability to write about them, I think. It's early days at MedTech Insight, but what subjects have you already come across that you're looking forward to writing about? So surprisingly, I found myself really drawn to the topics of AI and data in MedTech, which I didn't expect. And I think that with all the workforce issues, especially in the UK's NHS, anything that can automate diagnostics and care or make the patient experience better is a good thing. Um, but also technology isn't bulletproof. So I imagine that health authorities may be cautious in deploying products that are very innovative. And I'm also excited to see how the EU's upcoming plans for harmonised HTA will work for MedTech and whether those organisations who have criticised or had reservations around the proposals might actually end up finding the joint HTA to be useful. That will certainly be interesting. Do you have any questions that we, you would like to ask me about the sector and the new MedTech regulations that have recently applied in the EU? Yes, I do. So I'm interested to know what are the medical device and IVD regulations? What do they aim to do and what is their relationship with the medical device directives? Well, to give you some history, when I started working for Clinica in the mid-1980s, Clinica was the predecessor of MedTech Insight. Then the EU was at a growth stage and the European Commission and member states of the time were working to create a single set of MedTech regulations. Before that, there were some national rules, but they differed from country to country and they were piecemeal in terms of product coverage. Back then, three regulations were adopted, uh, but these were called directives. So the first of these directives was adopted in 1990. That was the Active Implantable Medical Devices Directive. That was followed by the Medical Devices Directive, which was adopted in 1993. And that covered within its scope the vast majority of medtech products. And then Five years later, in 1998, the IVD directive was adopted. Of course, since then, technology has evolved a great deal and our knowledge of risk has too. And there was a built-in review for these regulations anyway that was due to happen some 10 years ago. But in the end, it was some high profile medtech incidents and particularly the pit breast implant scandal that were a major factor shaping the level of stringency that we now have in the new regulations that replace the directives. So we now have the medical device regulation and that replaces both the active implantable medical devices directive and the medical devices directive and we have the IVD regulation which replaces the IVD directive. 
The EU adopted the text of these regulations back in 2017, but the medical device regulation only fully applied from 26th of May 2021, a year later than had been originally anticipated, and the IVD regulation only applied from the 26th of May this year. Those dates that I've just cited were the dates from which manufacturers could no longer see mark their products under the former directives. But there is the possibility for many products that were already in compliance with the former directives to continue to be marketed under them. That's a really interesting history. It's great to get some backstory. So I, I guess my next question is, in pharma, there's a system of pre-market approval carried out by the competent authorities um, and the European Medicines Agency. But in medtech, the European Commission and competent authorities seem to have an oversight role, but not a pre-market approval role. So how are medtech products approved in the EU? The system for obtaining market access in the EU for medtech products is completely different compared with pharma. Instead of pre-market approval by a regulatory authority, medtech companies retain the responsibility for CE marking their own products. But before they do this, the majority must have had a successful conformity assessment review for their product by a specially designated EU testing and certification body known as a notified body. This review of a product by a notified body can typically take anywhere between around six months and two years, depending on the risk level of the product and the level of preparedness of the company. And I should add that sometimes it's not just a review of the product. It may be a review of a quality system that uh, into which several products fall. Some very low risk devices can, in fact, be placed on the market without the oversight of a notified body. In this case, the manufacturer must still see markets product, but also follow the necessary requirements of the regulations for those low risk devices. In that case, the competent authorities are responsible for keeping an eye on this segment of the market under market surveillance responsibilities, but there's no pre-market approval. Okay, and then following on from that, how does HTA and reimbursement fit with EU medtech regulations? Medtech regulation can be a generic term encompassing the regulations themselves and reimbursement, or more often it's used as a specific term, meaning just medtech regulation per se. But while regulation per se is an EU matter where member states work together and agree and oversee the new regulations, reimbursement and funding are a national matter. This is because the provision of healthcare falls to the member states under the EU's so-called subsidiarity rules. So each member state decides what funding allocation it will make available for the purchasing of categories of medtech products and how its processes for paying for such products will work. Each member state also has processes for evaluating aspects that dictate the reimbursement decisions. The result is a piecemeal approach throughout Europe, a real labyrinth of rules that are difficult to follow, especially on top of the medical device and IVD regulations. There have been attempts to rationalise health technology assessments at a wider EU level, as you were mentioning earlier, and we now have the HTA regulation, 
which entered into force in January this year and applies as of January 2025. But as you acknowledged, progress has not been straightforward and the HTA regulation is regarded with some scepticism in general by the medtech industry. Yes, I've noticed that different countries really do have quite varied processes and organisational structures involved in assessing medtech and devices for reimbursement. So I, I guess gaining market access across the EU must be a bit of a minefield at times. Indeed. I'm delighted to have you on board, Eliza, and supporting me with the EU regulatory coverage and especially investigating in more detail this broad and very challenging area of reimbursement and funding, in addition to helping explore other regulations beyond the MDR and IVDR which impact the sector. Please look out for Eliza's posts on LinkedIn, on Twitter as well, to learn of her coverage and interests and keep an eye open for her at meetings and conferences over the autumn. Eliza, what are your Twitter and LinkedIn handles? So my Twitter is at Eliza Slaughter, which is E-L-I-Z-A-S-L-A-W-T-H-E-R. And then my LinkedIn is also just my name, Eliza Slaughter, and I'm the only person with my name, so it's not too difficult to find me. Great, thank you. We'll be doing a series of bite-sized podcasts on the basics of the EU medical device and IVD regulations together. The intention is that these podcasts will also be useful as a resource for newcomers or those needing a refresher when it comes to medtech regulations. Look out for our next podcast in September in which we'll be talking about the main players in the medtech regulatory field and their respective roles. <laughs>